Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Megan Chomut. Megan's episode is the latest in a series of podcast shows on women in real estate. In the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing successful female real estate investors to help encourage and inspire more women to get into real estate. Megan is a fee-only CFP professional that works with families and helps investment property owners make smart financial decisions. From debt repayment strategies to savings, how much and where, to tax planning and everything in between, Megan loves helping families get their finances organized, streamlined, and set up properly so that they can actually see financial freedom or be ready should an opportunity come up. In terms of real estate investing, Megan has a rental property, she's done a flip, and she's learned a lot of lessons along the way. In my interview with Megan, we discuss how she got started in real estate investing, running the numbers on an income property, and are income properties an important part of everyone's investment portfolio. But before we get to my interview with Megan, just a few words about this episode's sponsor. This episode of the Bird Your Mortgage podcast is sponsored by Hard Bacon. If you have money invested in the stock market, you need to know about Hard Bacon. Hard Bacon is a Canadian mobile app that syncs with all your investment accounts and provides you with all the insights and financial data you need to make better investment decisions. And right now, Hardbacon is raising money on Front Funder through an equity crowdfunding campaign. If you are interested in investing in the company, go to hardbacon.ca funder. That's H-A-R-D-B-A-C-O-N dot C-A slash F-U-N-D-R. Now back to our regular scheduled podcast episode. Without further ado, here's my interview with Megan Chomod. Hi, Megan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Sean. Awesome. Looking forward to chatting the real estate with you today. Yes, me too. I'm, I've, I'm loving the series and I've been listening to every episode, so I'm so excited to be actually contributing to the conversation. It's wonderful to have another woman on the show with a very interesting real estate story. So super excited to speak with you today. Awesome. Great. Well, let's get started. So can you tell us how you got started in real estate? Well, I think my story is very typical in that I, like many other Canadians, have watched HGTV and have gotten intrigued by the whole fix and flip or income property or whatever other kind of 20-minute entertainment that they have on there. So it's been something that I've always been kind of intrigued by and interested in, but it is quite intimidating 
So how I first got started was I really just started talking about it. So I would say to people like, I'm kind of interested in maybe trying a flip or I'm kind of interested in having a rental property. And I am quite involved in the finance community because I am a CFP. And a lot of the reaction that I got was quite negative in that you're going to get nightmare tenants and people just destroy your property or everything costs more money than you think it's going to cost when you're doing a flip. I really got started by having those conversations, getting scared and maybe (laughs) doing it anyways. Because what I found was the more I started talking about it, the more people would say, oh, I have an income property. And then I could ask them all the questions or even just start a conversation, not even knowing what my questions were. And from asking questions and talking to other people, somebody was selling one of their properties and they said, hey, I know Megan said she was interested in maybe getting started. Maybe we'll skip going to market and just ask her. And so that's what they did. They called me and they said they were thinking about selling one of their properties and asked me if I'd be interested in buying it. And so that's really how I got started. Wow. So just through your network and speaking with people, you found yourself as a property owner. Is that correct? That's exactly it. And because I was talking about it, I felt like it kind of helped with the, not that I was anxious about it, but it is quite scary to try something new that is not just buying an investment. It's like, and when I say investment, I mean like a stock or a bond or a mutual fund or whatever. It's like buying this thing that actually requires your attention and expertise. And I'm curious, growing up, were your parents homeowners? I mean, were they like role models for you for owning a property or what really inspired you to become a property owner? Was it just from speaking with other people and and just bug of HGTV or or was that kind of like always a a long-term goal for you? Yeah. So my parents have never, they've always owned their own homes, but they've never owned real estate or any other type of income producing investment where you had to be involved. They've just saved into their RSPs and their pensions and things like that. So I didn't really have them in terms of role models for this type of investment, but I have been a financial planner for, at this point, the last 10 years. So I did have the experience of kind of peeking behind the curtain of other people's financial plans and seeing how real estate had maybe either leapfrogged them into a higher net worth, or in some cases, because I did work through 2008, didn't leapfrog them. It kind of either set them back or left them stagnant for a few years. Oh, interesting. Well, thanks for sharing that story. Now you're talking about actually getting your property there. Can you tell us a bit about the property and how the whole process went? Yeah. So when this person reached out to me and said that they had this property, they were thinking of selling it. I felt really excited and nervous and scared. So I thought the first step would be to go see it. So we go and we see this property and it's a two unit building in what I, it it was pretty much right next door to where I rented my first apartment. So I had this like emotional attachment to it right away. And so I go and I look at it and I love the area. I'm so excited. And I go inside and oh my goodness, it was like, it was really bad. It hadn't been maintained. It was so dirty. 
in one of the units, there was either maybe too many people living in there or maybe somebody with a hoarding type problem, but there was just so much stuff that you really couldn't even see the rooms. And then the other unit was just horrendously dirty and they were smokers and smoked inside and you could visibly see where they liked to sit. So I'm so excited. I love the area. And then I go inside and I think, oh no, am I up for this? Oh my goodness. It's funny. When you were going to tell me about the property, I thought you were going to say that you were blown away with how nice it was because when I saw my property, it was on the outside of the property. The grass was overgrown and the gardens were a mess. And I said to my realtor, why did you take me to this property? It looks horrible because the homeowner moved to Calgary from Toronto and he wasn't taking care of the place. But then when I went inside, it was by far the nicest property. But unfortunately, I guess you had kind of had the reverse of that. The reverse. You, you yeah. thought it was going to be a decent property and it was probably like a worst case scenario. Would you say that that would be accurate? It was really, really bad. The only thing that I kept telling myself while I was in there was location, location, location. This is an amazing location. And I tried to put myself in the shoes of like a home builder or, and my husband was with me. We've both, we've built, we built our own home. We've done a flip in the past. So like we kind of knew what to look for in terms of the bones. And so I tried to turn off the grossness factor and thought location and bones. That's all I care about. I don't care about any of this stuff. All of this stuff can get moved and all of this stuff can get renovated. <laughs> I gather this was a gut job. First of all, can you walk us through how you actually got the property? And did you, did you kind of use the property's uh, not so great condition in your favor to get a great deal on the property? Well, in terms of a deal, because it was private, I think that helped. They just wanted to get rid of it. One of the units was empty. The other unit was being rented. And that was the one where there was either way too many people living in it or there was somebody with a storage problem. And what we said to the people selling it is we would like to buy this property vacant. Like, I don't know, this is my very first time doing something like this. I don't know what the rules are, but if you can make that happen, like that would be fantastic. And we're in. And that's what happens. Now that I've been in the game for five, six years, I don't know what would have happened if we would have had to take over those tenants. We were so lucky that when we got possession, we could just start working on it right away and just get all of that stuff out of there and just start renovating. But even when we were renovating, I have I took pictures all along the way so that we could watch the progress. And one of the very first pictures I took was a selfie of me. I had a one of those gas masky things on because I was using some chemical and I was wearing glasses and my glasses were all fogged up because I was crying because I thought, oh my goodness, what have we gotten ourselves into? And that's a selfie of me and I'm cleaning spaghetti sauce off the ceiling. It's just like, it's one of those things that I, when I'm in the moment, it was just so heavy. And now I look back on it and think, look what you did. Like you got through it. You did it anyways. And now it's like dividends in your pocket. 
oh my goodness, I can't say that I've ever gone through an experience like that myself, but perhaps you could tell us how you kept your sanity and also how you turned the property from the condition that it was in not so great to a place that people would want to rent. Mm -hmm. Well, we were fortunate in that we knew we only had to get one of the units rented to pay for the expenses to run the property. All we had to do was rush and get one of the units done, get it rented out, and then we could slowly putter away at the other one. So that's kind of where the motivation came in. We just picked the least amount of effort to get it up to rent worthiness. We picked that one. We Worked on it for probably three weeks and got it rented out within a month. And then we were able to leave the other one vacant for a whole year while we recovered from (laughs) all the ups and downs of renovating that one unit. And the one thing that really kept me going was that I knew the numbers made sense. I knew it was a smart investment. I knew that it was all going to work out. And so it wasn't like I was creating a tornado of emotions with doubt and fear. All I had to do was worry about the exhaustion and frustration that the reno was causing. I didn't have to worry about the financial side of things. So that actually leads perfectly into my next question. So can you tell us about the numbers and how you knew the property was a smart investment? Like what are some of the calculations you did perhaps for somebody that's considering buying an investor property? I had this elaborate (laughs) spreadsheet set up with the rent numbers and then the variations of different rent numbers because this was my first one. I didn't even know what I could charge for rent. So I had this widespread of rent. Then I also had the expenses, which I knew what the expenses were because they were given to us from the previous owners. But now that I've done this again and again and again is there are a couple rules of thumb that I would always keep in my back pocket. And one of the rules is the 1% rule, which is whatever the purchase price of the property is, as long as you can get around 1% per month in rent, it's probably going to positively cash flow. If I were to use simple numbers, if you buy a $200,000 property, you should be able to get $2,000 a month for rent and that property will positively cash flow. And then the other one is the 50% rule. So that one is if you turn around and went into this house, so I'm in my, let's say my two unit apartment that I just bought. And I say, what could I get for rent for these two units? And if I were to say, okay, I think for these two units, I could get $3,000 a month. Then I take half of that. So that's $1,500. And as long as my mortgage payment is less than $1,500, then it probably will positively cash flow. So it's kind of like I took this elaborate spreadsheet and I was like plugging away numbers and numbers and numbers and I felt really confident. But now I just use these two rules that are like 1% or 50%. And I can look at it from either way, the purchase price or what I'm going to get for rent. that's interesting. And is it like either or, or do you like it to kind of pass both of them? No, either or. Because the problem is you don't want to spend too much time 
really like doing what I was doing with the spreadsheet. If it can pass one of those rules, it's worth doing a spreadsheet on it. It's worth kind of digging in and analyzing it a little deeper. But if it can't pass those rules to a reasonable expectation, then maybe it's not a good rental property. Maybe it's more of a a house that you should buy to live in or enjoy or whatever, but not something that to produce an income for your portfolio. No, great advice. Thanks so much for sharing that with our listeners. And I'm just curious, so you said the rentals took about a year. If you're comfortable sharing, how much did the renovations cost? What kind of renovations did you do? And did you get a dream tenant at the end of the day? I mean, did everything turn out fine in the end? I've been so blessed, knock on wood, with amazing tenants right from the start. The one unit that wasn't that bad, it was the smoker unit. It mostly just needed new floors and we needed to get the cigarette smell out of there. And so that required a copious amount of paint and special primer, new floors, and that's pretty much it. So that unit probably only cost us about $4,000 to renovate. And it only took us four weeks to renovate it. And we did everything ourselves. And then the upstairs unit, which had so much stuff in it, we couldn't really see how bad everything was until we got everything out. So we got everything out. We ended up having to redo the bathroom, redo the kitchen, paint everything, redo all the floors. And so that one probably cost us just under $10,000. It was funny because we've done renovations before. We built our own house and all of these things. So I felt like I had experience. And then I made a budget and the bathroom, just to pay the plumber, took up almost my whole budget. Oh my goodness. And I thought, oh my gosh, I still need to buy the stuff. Like I still need to buy the tub and the sink and all of the stuff. Like you just took my whole budget. Those those darn plumbers are so expensive. I I once got a couple hours worth of work done and I'm almost racking up a bill of a thousand dollars. I mean, it's great to get the work done correctly, but plumbers definitely don't work on a cheap hourly rate. That's for sure. No. Well, and it's one thing you definitely want done right, especially in a rental property where maybe the people won't tell you right away if they do see water. I'm glad we were able to find somebody who was worth a lot to help us out. But yeah, that's no joke when you miss an important line item in your budget. (laughs) What did you end up doing? I presume you went over budget and and did that kind of affect the profitability of the property? And how did you manage going over budget? Did you just accept it? Or did you kind of have like a contingency amount of money set aside? Like, how did you deal with that? On the property, we have a home equity line of credit. So we do have access to funds should we need them. And that's exactly what we did. We were able to dip into that and just fund the renovation so that it didn't have to come out of our own personal pocket. And then as we made rent on that second unit, we just paid off that line of credit. That's great to hear. And certainly, you know, I've heard of people using home equity lines of credit, maybe not for the best uses, like going on a family vacation, but to use them for renovations for a rental property where you can bring in income pretty much sounds like one of the best uses, if not the best use. So, you know, certainly if you have equity sitting in your property and it's untapped, definitely makes sense to put it to good use for something that's going to increase your net worth, like renovating a rental property. I mean, I certainly think that was a good choice. 
Yeah. And I think too, it takes away that emotional attachment because we could have dipped into our savings to pay for the renovation, but that just kind of stung a little bit more for some reason than using the equity on the property. Like dipping into our own savings just felt like too heavy. Like... (laughs) Like we saved for that. We don't want to use it for this property that I made a mistake and and went way over budget. Great. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story about your own personal investment property. A general question for you. Do you think income properties are an important part of everyone's investment portfolio? The answer to that one is probably no. Not everybody needs to have exposure to real estate in that type of capacities. The one thing that I'm, I see a lot of is when people talk about real estate being a passive kind of investment. And I haven't had that be my experience because it, it wasn't passive for me to save for the down payment. It wasn't passive for me to find my first property. And it definitely hasn't been passive to maintain the relationships with my tenants and to do the renovations when the repairs and maintenance need to be done. That hasn't been my experience and it does take time out of your life. It's almost like having a part-time job. Even when you aren't working on the property or getting text messages or whatever, it still takes up rent in your head. So for example, when we go out of town, I just think, what if, what if something were to happen? What if, whatever. And if I didn't have that property, I, I wouldn't even have that thought. You don't go on vacation and think, what if my TFSA drops by 2%? <laughs> you just don't have those thoughts. So it is something that is on your mind and a little bit more of an actively managed investment. Yes, yeah, certainly. That's a good point that you raise. I mean, not everyone is suited to be a landlord. And I, I know my father and mother ran a rooming house back in the 70s in Toronto and the tenants almost drove my father crazy. So clearly he, he wasn't suited to be a landlord. But I guess on, on, on the point that you raised, you know, certainly it, it might not make sense for everyone, but at least today you can choose the degree that you're involved in terms of the investment property and, and with the tenants. For example, you can outsource some of the stuff by hiring a property manager. It will certainly eat into your cash flow and all that. But if you kind of want more of a hands-off approach, then you know you could hire a property manager. Or if you don't want to go through the difficulty of the getting renovations done, then you could buy a property where it's in decent shape and you don't need to do renovations. I guess it's all about how involved you want to be on the property. And the good news is it's certainly not as passive as investing in a TFSA, but depending on how involved you want to be in the property, there are varying degrees in terms of how involved you want to be from being super involved like you to outsourcing everything to a property manager. So you can kind of choose how involved or not involved you want to be. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that's amazing about owning real estate is that you have so much control. So you have the choice to hire a property manager or manage it yourself. You have the choice to sell it or to maybe bring on a partner should that make sense for your investment strategy. And those kinds of decisions I think are ingrained in people that are naturally inclined to want to invest in 
real estate because you want the control, you want to see the property, you want to, all those things, you want to be able to make decisions that add to your net worth and increase whatever type of investment strategy that you're trying to accelerate. And for me, I just love the idea of it. I love all the different strategies that you can take with it, all the different relationships and all of those things. So that's why I... (laughs) I've obviously gravitated towards it. But yeah, I think that there's a personality type. And if maybe stress is something when it comes to finances or all those things, maybe owning real estate isn't isn't for you. Because you have to be able to separate the money from your well-being. You have to be able to say, you know, we're going to cut our losses and we're going to sell it or we're, we're going to keep up with this property it's it's doing it's doing great or maybe even properties that are doing great we're going to sell them and maybe look at opportunities elsewhere it's like really putting on that that decision making hat and certainly uh, last chapter of my book, I write about some questions you can ask yourself in terms of if you would be well suited for being a landlord or not. So if that's something you're interested in exploring more, feel free to check out my book, Burn Your Mortgage. And the last chapter goes into depth about that. And from the feedback that I've gotten it, one of the popular, if not the most popular chapters. So feel free to check that out. Megan, thanks so much for all the insight. It's been great having you on the show. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? I'm always working on something. Right now, we just wrapped up tax season. So I'm working on some resources to help with the whole managing receipts and deductions and making sure you're just not missing out on anything and you're claiming everything you're entitled to. So feel free to follow me on Instagram. I'm sharing my tips and tricks from all the receipt gathering research and tools that I'm, I'm looking into right now. My handle on Instagram is Megan, M-E-G-H-A-N, C-F-P. And feel free to shoot me a DM because that's my favorite way to connect with people. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. It was great chatting with you today. Thanks so much for having me. I am so honored to be a part of this initiative. As mentioned at the start of the show, this episode of the Bird Your Mortgage podcast is sponsored by Hard Bacon. If you have money invested in the stock market, you need to know about Hard Bacon. Hard Bacon is a Canadian mobile app that syncs with all your investment accounts and provides you with all the insights and financial data you need to make better investment decisions. And right now, Hard Bacon is raising money on Front Funder through an equity crowdfunding campaign. If you are interested in investing in the company, go to hardbacon.ca slash funder. That's H-A-R-D-B-A-C-O-N dot C-A slash F-U-N-D-R. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation.
Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.